Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Great morning. Awesome. Thank you, James. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver, silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed to remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Verse 13, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Come on, how beautiful did the letter of James end? Come on. Just that reading alone builds up your spirit, and I hope you're already inspired and edified just by reading those 20 verses. Today, I want to wrap up our study through the book of James. It's been seven weeks. And I kind of want to give a summary of the whole book with what he's saying here in these last 20 verses. And I'll encourage you to take some notes as we learn together, lean in together. 
Uh, take some notes wherever you can. Today, I want to talk to you from this title, Keep on Climbing. Keep on climbing. Come on, why don't you look at three, four people around you and tell them you better keep on climbing. Keep on climbing. We're going to pray, and then we'll talk about James chapter 5 for about 25, 30 minutes or so, and then we're going to worship one more time. Is that cool, 9 a.m.? Awesome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for each and every person that's here watching online. Thank you for all of Calvary Church, our extended family. Thank you for this community, this family, this household of faith. Thank you for what you're doing, God, between the summer and the fall. We've seen revival. We've seen lives being changed, people taking next steps. God, what a moment. Thank you that we were able to record and produce and put together some worship that's in our heart from people in this house. And now it's blessing the world. God, thank you for what you're doing in this family. We don't take it for granted. You are at work, and we want to continue to be under what you want to bless. And so we thank you for this letter. We thank you for the study that we've been in as it's helped our soul continue to speak to us today. We love you. We thank you. We give you all the praise. And it's in Jesus' name that all of Calvary Church says. Amen. Oh, come on. All of Calvary Church says. Amen. Can you make some noise for Jesus? Come on. This past week, me and Diana went up to Georgia for a few days just to get away. We were on vacation and uh, Georgia is absolutely beautiful. I don't know if you've been to Georgia. I don't know about the Atlanta southern area, but the north part of Georgia. Anybody from Georgia in the house? Any Georgians in the house? That's right. Nobody. One person. <laughs> Georgia, north Georgia is absolutely gorgeous. We were up in the mountains, and one of the things that they have up there is apple orchards. Am I saying it correctly, right? Apple orchards. And we decided to go uh, apple picking this week. And so we went and we started picking some apples. But to get to the apple orchard was a little bit of a journey. Um, North Georgia is not like South Florida. South Florida is completely flat. North Georgia has mountains and valleys. And uh, you have to do some walking and some trekking. Uh, and we decided to go and we forgot we have a 10-month-old baby girl. And so we had to carry the baby girl. And I say we because we took turns. And we start climbing this hill, and, and we started picking some apples, but they told us, if you want some really good apples, you have to go to the back of the apple orchard. There were some special apples all the way in the back. And so I got to the back, and I'm like, how about them apples? <laughs> that was terrible. Absolutely. I'll be here all day. Absolutely terrible. Along the journey to get to that back apple orchard, <laughs> that was so bad. You know, Aria started getting heavy. This was an uphill climb. And, and you ever decide like halfway through, like, I don't know if it's worth getting to the back apples. These front apples looked okay, you know. And uh, along our trek, we just started getting distracted with the apples we saw. We were with some friends and we're like, maybe we'll just stay here. And, 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 and I just started thinking about this as I thought about James. It's so easy to quit halfway. It's so easy to stop when you're on a journey and decide not to follow it through. And for a moment, we were carrying Aria, and she is now getting heavy, and we're like, I don't know if it's worth it to get all the way to the end of this apple orchard. And I think because of distractions in life, because of the busyness of life, 
because of the burdens and the, the, the things that weigh on us in life, it's easy to stop halfway. Throughout history, there has been people that have started great things but never finished them. I was reading about Leonardo da Vinci, who was an absolute incredible genius. In his time, he did so much, but he left so much work undone because he got distracted by starting another thing or something else. In fact, there's a painting that he has called The Adoration of the Magi, and he finished it halfway and never completed it. I wonder how many of us are sitting here with things that we started, but we never finished. I believe that James is trying to inspire us to say, keep on climbing. The Sagrada Familia in Spain, or La Sagrada Familia, it's a beautiful uh, church building. I tried to say it like I was American at first. Sagrada Familia. The Sagrada Familia. <laughs> I've been fighting a cold. I'm on one. I'm just, there's no filter. Um, the architect that started it got distracted by the Spanish War. And then got distracted by other things that were happening in Spain. He never finished it and he passed away without the work ever being completed. To this day, they're still trying to finish the building in Barcelona. Like I just started thinking, like how many things in our life do we start? But because of distractions in our life, in the world, the things that weigh us down, we stop, we pause, we don't keep going. And we never complete that which the Lord wanted to start and finish in our life. We have to keep on climbing. James, this is what he's alluding to as he's reaching the end of this letter that he's writing to the church at large. He's saying, I want you to be careful because if not, worldliness or acting like the world can start to get in your life, in your heart, and if you're not careful, you will start looking to the right and the left, and you won't complete the work that God has before you. Don't be distracted, he says, by the riches. Don't be distracted by the waiting. And don't be distracted by the suffering that happens in life. Life is going to be full of pleasures. Life is going to be full of moments of waiting. And life for sure is going to give us a share of suffering. And he's saying, don't be distracted. We are on a journey. You and I, if we're believers in Jesus. If we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are to be missional minded, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to make a difference in Miami. That's why we do heart for the house because we are going to impact and influence the world around us. But you got to stay focused and keep on climbing. Don't be distracted. Don't be deterred. Come on, God has a journey for you and I. And we are to walk by faith, not by sight. But if we start looking at the riches, the waiting, and the suffering, we will stop halfway through and never finish that which God wanted to accomplish in our life. Am I talking to somebody this morning? And we'll start looking to the side and we'll never finish. It's happened in my own life. I've walked through moments like this in my life where it's easy to start looking to the right or the left and compare yourself to somebody else. Have you ever done that? You ever jumped on Instagram and you're like, how come I don't have what, what they have? How come I am going through this and it seems like this person doesn't even have to face half of what I'm facing? How come the Lord has blessed this person this much and I'm still dealing with this? Have you ever done that or it's just me? 
And all of a sudden, comparison comes in. And we know the old truth. Comparison is the thief of joy. And we start comparing our life. And literally, all we're doing is distracting ourselves from the journey that God has for us individually. But we start getting distracted. Now, I put it this way today. You have to be careful with distractions because distractions can lead to destruction. Distractions can lead. I mean, you, you think it may not be a big deal to be distracted, but oh, how many know you, you get distracted for a moment, it can lead to major destruction. James is saying we are believers in Jesus. We, we are to walk around proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be missional minded, to be focused on him. And he says, if you are not careful, and if you don't continue living by faith, you will start walking by sight. And now the ways of the world will start to live inside of you. And instead of focusing on him and what he has for you and I, the cares of the world, the anxieties of the world, the pressures, the weights of the world will start to weigh us down. And bitter and jealousy and envy will start to come out in our life. Resentment, rejection will start. And now we no longer walk like believers, we walk like non-believers. Because distractions can lead to destruction. I started putting my eyes on the things that I should not. I started comparing my life. I started looking at all that I didn't have instead of looking at what God has already given me. And if I start to take an inventory of my life, I realize I have more to praise God for than to ever complain. If I just take a moment in my life this morning to say, wait one second, I may not have it all, but I got salvation. I may not have it all, but I'm blessed. I'm adopted. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. He adopted me. He picked me up from the miry clay. I'm blessed this morning. I got breath in my lungs. I got a voice to praise. I may not have it all, but I got strength to bring some worship. Oh, come on, somebody. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Come on. You've got to keep on climbing. Tell your neighbor, keep on climbing. But it's easy for the vicissitudes and the storms of life to get our eyes off of Jesus and we forget about all that God has given us in a moment. We forget about all the blessings in a moment, and we turn to complainers. And there's nothing worse than complainers. Anybody know a good complainer? Don't point at them. They may be next to you. I decided, I promise, I decided maybe over a decade ago in my life not to be a complainer. There's so much to thank God for. There's so much, some people wish they had the opportunity that we have today to be here, to be praising God, to be listening, to be seen, to be here. I don't know about you, but I got much to praise God for in spite of whatever else may be going on. Come on, we have a good God. And James is alluding to a system of the world that starts getting inside of you. And you start living like the world. And we get anxious and we get frustrated. And maybe some of us in here today, this is where we're at. Life has been rough. The weights of the world have now burdened your soul. And you're sitting here and you're trying to worship God and you're trying to praise God, but I get it, life has been hard. 
There's been tragedy. There's been crisis. There's been surprises, grief that life has thrown at us. And how do you keep on going in the midst of that? How do you keep on climbing in spite of the storms, the sufferings that life hands us? And this is what real faith is. Real faith is not climbing because God is good all the time and everything is rainbows and skittles and butterflies. Real faith is knowing God is good in spite of the storms and challenges and he's real and he's with me and he's got me in spite of what I see. So today, some of us, we got to deal with the resentment, bitterness, and anger. And perhaps maybe you're here like me. You've stopped at times in your life from going after all that God has for you. Maybe there's some people in here today, you've stopped climbing. You've stopped in your journey of going after all that God has for you, for your marriage, for your family. Doubt has crept in. Fear has crept in. Anxiety has crept in. And I know in a room like this or with an audience like this watching, there's many of us today, this is where we're at. God, it's tough. And I got distracted and I'd rather sit under this apple tree than to go to the back where you have more blessings for us. But I wonder how many of us, life may happen and we may get to the end of our life leaving so much undone. And instead of looking more like Jesus, we start looking more like those who walk by sight. And I just believe that the entire book of James is for growth. The entire book of James is all about maturity in the faith. And so I put it this way today. Today, your, your attitude of faith will determine your altitude in faith. In other words, if you want to grow in faith, you need to go in faith. A lot of us, we want to be people of faith, but as soon as the first punch of life hits us, we stop. We get distracted. We take a seat. Today, I don't know about you, but I want to grow in my faith. I want to be a mature believer. I want, to be, I want to walk with Jesus, think like Jesus, love like Jesus. I want Miami to see a picture of Calvary and see people who really love Jesus, who walk like him, think like him, care like him, are generous like him. If you want to grow in your faith, keep going by faith in spite of what life throws. And so James is writing this letter, and what a letter we studied. I don't want us ever as a church to overlook any of the books. Come on, this is absolutely fascinating that God preserved these books throughout history. I mean, you think about all that happened over the last 2,000 years. These books and these letters could have been destroyed at any given moment. But by the sovereignty of God, he preserved them throughout history, throughout kingdoms and empires that have gone up and gone down. God preserved these books so that we would have them today. And the book that we're reading is from a pastor named James who happens to be the half-brother of Jesus. Growing up, he didn't think his brother was Jesus the Messiah. He just thought his brother was Jesus. Jesus, mi hermanito, you know, like. But he never thought it was Jesus the Messiah. And in fact, history tells us he didn't come to faith until his brother resurrected from the dead. So he comes to faith. He believes that his brother's the Messiah. He's like, this is absolutely wild. He starts loving God. He becomes a pastor. And in fact, he becomes the pastor of the biggest church in Jerusalem, which then spread because of persecution. And he's writing this letter because a lot of them are under pressure. A lot of them are poor. A lot of them are suffering. They're going through sickness. They're going through heartache. Being a Christian 
doesn't mean you escape all of that. Being a Christian means you can endure through all of that. And so James is writing to them to encourage them. And James is like, hey, keep on going. Keep on climbing. And he's writing to the church about what real Christians look like. He said, I want you to mature in your faith. Some of you are living in different cities. Some of you are going through different things. Some of you are facing different kind of situations. I may not be going through what you're going through. You may not be going through what I'm going through. But at the end, our faith works. We have a real faith. Somebody say real faith. We don't have a make-believe faith. This isn't just a little wish upon a star type of thing. This isn't just us singing some cute songs. We have real faith in a real God that really overcame sin and death. Oh, come on. I'm thankful that I really believe in a good God, in a real God, all-powerful, almighty God. That's the God that I serve. And James is like, you got to believe it like that because life will get hard. And when life gets hard, can your faith stand? And it should if you're a mature Christian. Week, week one, let's go back seven weeks. Week one, we said the tagline for this series was faith that works in everyday life. That's James' point. James is saying, you and I have a faith that works. Come on, say that with me. We have a faith that works. This thing is real. And so if you're suffering, if you're going through crisis, if you're without a job, if the marriage is headed to divorce, if one of your children are sick, if you suffer loss, whatever it may be, you have faith that works in everyday life. And James is writing to people that have friends have passed away, family members have been lost, businesses have crumbled, they're living now in poverty, and he says, you have faith that works church let's hold on to that faith let's keep confessing that faith our faith is our faith is really than what we're seeing right now and so James is like mature Christians don't quit when life gets tough mature Christians don't give up and throw in the towel when storms come your way mature Christians don't murmur and complain like the Israelites did in the desert, but they walk by faith, not by sight. And so chapter one, he said, hey, mature Christians are resilient. You keep going through trials, through temptation. Chapter two, he said, mature Christians are real. Somebody say real. real. We don't, we're just not hearers of the word, we're doers of the word. Chapter three, mature Christians, oh, you're restrained. You just don't speak some crazy talk and you just don't abuse people and verbally berate people. Mature Christians, we know how to restrain or we should restrain our tongue because he restrains our tongue. Chapter four, we learned last week there's a whole bunch of wars going on. We're at war with ourselves, with each other, with God. So mature Christians are reserved. Chapter four, the Holy Spirit brings us self-control. Chapter five now, he's about to wrap up and he's saying, hey, mature Christians, we are resolute. And basically, he's going to tie the last chapter of the letter by tying it back to the first chapter of the letter. It's a short letter James is writing to you and I, really, to the church at large throughout history. 
chapter 4, he started talking about how the world infects us. Don't become like the world. Don't live like the world. And he's alluding to that as he's now beginning this last section of this beautiful letter. And he starts so by giving a warning to the rich. And we just read it. James does not hold his tongue, but he gives a stern rebuke in a godly manner under the power of the Holy Spirit to those who, have, who are rich and have abused the poor. Again, the message is obvious to the church. Don't be distracted just because you see people that have money and you're going through need. God's got you. God's got you and I. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's got us. And so James, point number one, what I take away from the first part of chapter five, verses one through seven, he's saying, hey, be watchful for distracting pleasure. Oh, I know you and I, we, I mean, it's easy now. You go through Instagram, you just go through this gram for 10 minutes and you see people who they have the 35 foot boat. They have the brand new Yukon Denali, <laughs> right? They got the beautiful hat. And, and, and if you're not careful, those distractions will creep into your heart. Here's the bottom line. James begins to call them out on the way they got the money. Oh, you've taken advantage of the poor. There's people who've taken care of your fields. Basically, what he's saying in our modern day times, you had people that worked for you and you didn't even pay them. That's why you're rich. You abuse people. You didn't pay people. And what should be the big obvious message to the church that's reading this, don't be deceived by people that have riches because you don't know how they got those riches, number one. Number two, the pleasures that God gives are forevermore. So I will not live for the temporary satisfaction of what this world can give me where moth and rust can destroy, but I'll live for the riches of eternity. I'll live for the riches that God gives, which are hope, which are grace, which are peace, which are joy deep down in the heart. Oh, money can't buy the peace that I have. Money can't buy the joy that I feel. Oh, money can't buy the hope that I have. Money can't buy the grace that I experience. No money in the world can compare to what God gives us. Can I get an amen? Doesn't mean you can't have money. James is like, get your money, do your thing. <laughs> but don't do it in ways that would destroy others and don't do it at the cost of your own soul. So he's warning about riches. In other words, you and I, if we're reading this at the time that he's writing, you have to understand the church, most of the church was poor. They had to move away from their city. They were under persecution. They had to move to different parts of the world. They're away from their homeland. They're away from their friends and family. A lot of them are suffering. Some of them are getting sick and dying. That's why I cannot stand the prosperity gospel because it's not the real gospel. But in the midst of loss, in the midst of all of that, we have a God that is so real. Amen. And we live in light of eternity, not in light of time. 
Because if you put your eyes in light of time, you would get frustrated and anxious and you'll throw in the towel because you'll see the clock is ticking and I still haven't made my million and I'm still not the way out. But you're looking at time. Our God doesn't live in time. He lives in eternity. And if, it, if I live in light of eternity, I realize I got riches that this world can't buy. If I live in light of eternity, I realize though God may give me 70, 80, 90 years. If I never get on this side of eternity, it don't matter. On the other side, I'm healed. On the other side, I'm rich. On the other side, I'm blessed. On the other side, God's got me. Come on, he's a good God. And so I'll, I, I will strive, I'll work, I'll do all I can in time. But I do it in light of eternity. And I won't let the ways of the world frustrate me. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, unless we purposely live with a view of the next world, we cannot make much of our present existence. Oh, come on, let's live in light of eternity. I won't let the anxiety of this world, the riches of this world distract me, the pleasures of this world distract me. James says, the rich, they've abused the poor and they got judgment coming. I mean, we just read those first seven verses and it's like, ouch. Should we be reading this today? It's not encouraging. <laughs> yeah, and it's a big, just obvious application to the church. Don't, don't live like that. You keep on climbing in spite of what you're going through. You may not have all you want, but in Jesus, you have more than you need. Somebody say, keep on climbing. Matthew chapter 6 says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The first seven verses of the last chapter, we see the warning to the rich. And again, the church should just be watchful. Don't be distracted by the pleasures of this world. Are, are you getting what James is saying? Number two, he says, then be patient as we wait on the promises. He goes back to a similar tone of chapter one when he's saying, hey, you need to persevere. Be patient. And he begins to talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a church, we believe that Jesus is coming back. And we're living in the last days. I believe we've been in the last days since Jesus Christ resurrected and ascended it's been the last days when will he come nobody knows the time or the hour but he's coming back Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for his church and he's coming to rule and reign forever as the supreme king over all the earth and one day all will be healed one day all will be restored one day we'll all be well and the kingdom will fully be here now James says, we've been waiting and he still hasn't come back. That's only a couple years after Jesus ascended. Now we're talking about 2,000 years. And some of us will be like, well, we've waited a long time. And James is just encouraging us. Say, yes, yeah, stay patient. Stay patient. And he brings up three examples, the farmer, the prophets, and Job. In chapter 5, quickly, he brings up three examples. Farmers, the Old Testament prophets, and Job. They all waited patiently. And he said, you need to have patience like a farmer. A farmer sows seeds. And he may or less have a timetable when I think I'm going to get my harvest. But he waits. 
He cannot hurry up the apple tree and say, give me apples now. You got to wait. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. He says, you need to have patience like that. The problem is many of us, we want the fruit immediately without taking time to watch the seed. And whatever you do in life, you got to watch over the seed before you get the fruit. And so as we wait, we just know we keep on sowing seed all throughout the world, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching, preaching, healing the sick, casting out devils. We keep sowing seed. Sooner or later, the fruit will come. The kingdom of God will be here. Can you wait? Can you be patient as we wait on the promises? It's easier said than done. Look at the prophets, number two. The prophets, oh, they prophesied in the name of Jesus, and some of them were literally killed. They were killed for warning Israel. They were killed for speaking judgment against the opposing armies, but they were patient. The word patient there in James chapter five, especially verse 11, means to be steadfast under. Literally, the way one commentator wrote it is, patience means to remain even when you feel like running away. You ever felt like running away? You ever felt like I quit everything? I'm catching the first plane to the Bahamas and ain't nobody seeing me for the rest of eternity. <laughs> you ever feel like running away? You ever had a crying baby at two o'clock in the morning? You're like, I want to run away. Not, not me. I'm just asking. I'm running away now. <laughs> patience, he says. A mature Christian is patient. Another commentator said, patience is who we are, perseverance is what we do. You and I, if we're really believers in Jesus, we'll be patient and then we persevere. We stay under. The weight may come, the stresses may come, the storms may come, but I stay under, I stay steadfast, I'm resolute because he's got me. I keep on patient and then number three we'll go to the last one because of time number one you be watchful for the pleasures of the world number two be patient as we wait on the promises and then number three be prayerful in the valleys of problems he finishes the last section believing in verse 12 is any among you suffering and James is very very pragmatic if you want easy somebody just tell me what to do James says I'll tell you what to do is any among you suffering and we're like yes pray oh th thank you James <laughs> you ever hate when somebody gives you that kind of answer like, how's life going man it's just been tough it's been crazy I'm going through all this stuff man I know just pray love you <laughs> if you don't <laughs> is any of you having a good time he says praise it may seem simple, but there's power in prayer and praise. Oh, come on, church. We're gathering this Wednesday night, three days from now. We're going to gather in here to pray, not because we have nothing better to do. Not because we don't have nothing better to do on a Wednesday night. No, I could take my wife out and we'll go out to have a nice steak dinner. And there, There's a lot of things we can do, but I realize, and we've realized as a church, that prayer is absolutely vital to our lives. Like the air that we breathe 
pray or we need to pray. Real Christians pray. Real Christians, oh, come on. We, we go to the doors of heaven and we ask, we seek, we knock until God answers the door. Real Christians pray. Oh, it's the first thing that we do. Prayer is our first response, not our last resort. Some people don't pray until everything has absolutely collapsed. And James is saying, you better start praying now. And he says, are you going through good times? Praise. But I think a mature Christian can praise even when they're in the valley. That's why we gather. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why we pray. Because in spite of everything, we're going to keep on climbing. And to climb, I was going up the apple orchard and I was just playing around that I was struggling a little bit. I wasn't really struggling. I really wasn't. And Diana playing around, she came from behind me and she pushed me. And she gave me a little boost to keep on going. You know, I was carrying Aria, she's heavy. Um, <clears throat> you know what prayer and praise does? It's the push that keeps us going. When we gather here on a Wednesday night, when we gather here on a Sunday morning and we lift up our hands, we don't lift up our hands because life is great. We don't lift up our hands because we got it all together and I got every answer in the world. No, absolutely not. Sometimes we're dumbfounded, confused, absolutely bewildered by all that life throws out. I don't have all the answers, but I lift up my hands because there's a God who sits on the throne. He's sovereign. He's almighty. He's in control. And I'll pray and I'll praise and I'll lift them up even when I don't understand. I'll lift up my voice and I'll give him a shout and I'll call on his name because he's faithful and he answers and he's good and he's true and he'll never fail me and he'll always be looking out for me all the days of my life. Somebody give God a praise today. Oh, today, are you in the valley? You can pray. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Why don't we stand up to our feet all across this place? Church, as we wrap up, we want to give an opportunity. As we're talking about the book of James and this idea of praying and praise and the power that comes with that, really you have to understand that you could pray and you could praise, but if it's not praying and praising the right person, then there's, you're not going to have that power. You need to actually change your life. See, everything that we do and everything that we talk about is all about Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is where power is from His death and resurrection is where we find power to change. But it begins with the forgiveness of our sins, becoming new creations. Jesus, why we worship Him, why we give our lives to Him, is because He first did it for us. Jesus was in heaven next to the Father and there was a problem. The problem was sin. As we were born, all of us are born sinners. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and because of that we were cursed for all mankind. And when we're born, we're not perfect. We're not as good as we think we are. We, we lie, we, we do things that aren't right. And that's all a part of sin. And there's nothing that none of us can do in our own strength and our own goodness to remove that sin. And so Jesus, because he loves us and doesn't want us to spend eternity in eternal damnation says, no, I'm going to give them salvation. I'm going to give up my life 
and replace what was meant for us, I'm gonna take it on. So Jesus leaves heaven, he's born as a baby, grows up to be a man. Literally, Jesus is born to die. His whole life as a child, as a teenager, being a man, he knows in the back of his mind, yes, he's gonna teach, yes, he's gonna heal, yes, he's gonna cast out demons, but ultimately he has to die for us to ever step into eternal life. So the day comes and Jesus with his disciples and the authorities come and they arrest Jesus. He knows this is part of the plan. He has to give up his life. Jesus, we have to understand he's fully human but he's also fully God. He knows what it's like to be hungry, what it's like to be sad, to laugh, to cry, but he also knows what it's like to be perfect and not sin and not make mistakes. So Jesus knows it can relate to your human problems, but he also is bigger because he's also God. And in this moment, Jesus gives up his life. He's tried illegally. He's, he's abandoned by his friends and his family. He's falsely accused of things he doesn't do, didn't do. And in this moment, the time has come for him to pay the ultimate price for you and for me. So Jesus, they get his body and they beat him, they berate him, they humiliate him, they spit on him. The Bible says that Jesus was beaten so badly, he was unrecognizable. Family gone, friends gone, disciples say that they will never leave him. Disciples saying they will never curse him, they will never run away from him, are gone. And Jesus in this moment, his hands are nailed, his feet are nailed on the cross. They put a crown of thorns on his head to mock him as the king of the Jews. In this moment, he takes his last breath. And what was meant for us, Jesus takes. He dies on that cross, they get his body, they put him in a tomb. He's buried and it looks like Jesus for three days is a heretic, he was lying the whole time. But some of the people in his life, his family and some of the disciples go to the tomb and they realize that the stone is rolled away. Jesus is not there. And what does this signify and what does this mean to us? It means Jesus did what no other religious deity could do. He defeated sin, he defeated death, and he resurrected from the grave, and he's alive today. You can still find Buddha where he's, where he's buried. You can still find Confu oh, Jesus did the impossible. And that's why we praise him, that's why we give our life to him. So today, if that's you, you're saying, Phil, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna wake up one day and I wanna know that today I can have my sins forgiven. I can have a brand new life. I can have purpose. I know that when I leave this earth, I'm gonna spend time in heaven where there is no more sin, there is no more suffering, and I can be with Jesus all the days of my life. If you wanna have your salvation secured, eternal life secure, if you don't want hell to be your home and you wanna have heaven as your forever, today's your day. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, I just want to give you an opportunity and make this moment between you and Jesus. We believe that the Holy Spirit's moving. We believe that God is speaking to specific people. But if you're saying, Phil, that's me. I want to pray to Jesus. I want to praise Jesus. I want to have a life changed by Jesus. I've been trying my own way. I've been doing things by my own strength and nothing is working. I want to have a brand new beginning, a brand new start today for my life. Well, my friend, first, you got to have forgiveness of your sins. You got to accept Jesus. And, and the beautiful thing is he did all the work. It's free. Grace is free for you and I. But you have to surrender. So if you're saying, Phil, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to become a Christian today and have my eternal life secured. In the comment, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to see who I'm praying for. It's between you and Jesus. But you lift up your hand if you want to get right with Jesus today. One, two, three. You put up your hands. You put up your hands. Awesome. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Awesome. You can put your hands down. You in a prayer, if you raise your hands or repeat after me, prayer, and it goes like this Lord Jesus, I open up my heart, I invite you inside to be my friend, 
to be my Savior, to be my God. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I love you and I thank you. And everybody said, come on, let's put our hands together. It's the best part of service. Thank you so much, BJ. Hey, if you raised your hand, we want to give you this gift. Our amazing team has put together a free Bible. There's a letter from Pastors Alex and Diana, and it's free. We have no strings attached. We just want to help you get a Bible in your life, but also help you with any questions that you have. Maybe you need prayer or connect team outside. They want to pray for you as well. We just want to make this day special for you. And if you prayed online, that prayer of salvation, let us know, and we'll reach out to you and make sure you get a free Bible. But come on, church, let's put our hands together one more time for everybody that made that decision. Let's do this week. Let's start Monday. Let's start living out the book of James in our everyday life and believing that as we do that, Jesus is going to start changing us, maturing us, growing us. And the person we were last year will not be the same person we are this year and so on and so forth because the Holy Spirit is doing something inside of us. So let's leave here worshiping Jesus, thanking Him for all that He's done. God, we thank you, God. We love you. We pray today as we go out there and see people baptized that their lives would change. Help us on our Monday to be more like you. Lord, we love you, we thank you. Today we pray.